Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt and taxes and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, with a love of fantasy books and funk, and a hatred of running more than three miles, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends. This is Dave Denniston, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, I have the pleasure of having a gentleman with me who, at a very young age, uh, had the desire to purchase a small business, and he discovered the world of SBA financing and ended up buying a business, got a million dollar plus loan at age 19 without family money or connections and done it several more times since and is now educating people through his latest business, 7A Accelerator, to help educate, consult and assist business owners in securing SBA financing. And he works with a lot of docs. We were talking before the chat he also helps with tax credits, and we know here how we like talking about slashing taxes. We're even talking a little bit about some of my businesses before we started chatting here about some of the things you can and can't do with SBA financing. So I'm glad to have him on. Joshua Kim, 7A Accelerator, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you, man. Yeah, definitely. You know, I can, I can tell by our kind of uh, pre-chat, you're a hustler. You work hard doing what you do. I, yeah, I, that's, that's the only way to get places in life. It comes with, uh, you know, it comes with hard work, right? Well, and, and I think you're, you're an interesting guy. And I think just kind of breaking it down, you were saying beforehand um, that you yourself obviously are big into cutting taxes and you moved all the way to Puerto Rico. So we'll have to talk more about that because that in itself is a fascinating tax strategy. Um, but before we do that, Josh, tell us about your background. You know, be- before you were 19, you know, what, what, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Uh, tell us about your life a little bit. Yeah. So I, I spent a lot of my, a lot of my life. Uh, I grew up in Hawaii. Uh, my, my dad was military. So I was born there. We moved and then we ended up, you know, moving back. Uh, so I spent, I spent the majority of my years out there in Hawaii. Um, you know, I was homeschooled. It, it afforded me the opportunity to graduate early and, you know, really kind of figure out what I wanted to do. I learned pretty quickly that I was not interested in getting involved in politics or working a traditional job. I always kind of had small businesses on the side that, you know, I, I run, you know, like e- e-commerce businesses or a couple mm-hmm. of other miscellaneous things. So I really just leveraged a lot of my you know, expertise with that and figured out, you know, what's the next best step, you know, what's the next thing to get into. So I found myself a mentor who, had a lot of experience in, you know, mergers, acquisitions, uh, larger business transactions, and, you know, just really levered all the learning that I got out of, um, you know, working with him into purchasing my own, you know, first small business at 19. I bought a home health and hospice business, and um, it was a lot of work running it. I, I definitely learned a lot of lessons with that. I ended up buying three of them. I learned a lot of lessons kind of just running those businesses and, all the hoops and headaches and heartaches that come with it. Um, so break, but, yeah. break that down for me. What's, what are, what are your top three lessons from running those businesses? Always. Yeah. So top, top lessons, if I had to break it down to three things, always be mindful of the alignment of incentives of the key people in your organization. 
I, I had a lot of, I had to cut through, I had to cut a lot of people that I found out were, you know, they were not focused on the success of the organization. They were there to focus on the success of themselves. Um, they were there to, you know, really just benefit themselves and they didn't give a shit about, you know, the company, the business and a lot of their actions kind of show that over time. Um, so just, you know, don't, don't be gullible and in, in, in believing what people say at face value, you know, trust, but verify. Mm-hmm. Um, I also learned the importance of just keeping clean books and records. I mean, you know, just, you know, postponing it, I'll get to it later is never a, <clears throat> it's never a good mindset to have because it's just going to end up being more work for you to do later. If it's there and you can do it, do it then and there so that you don't have to, you know, so you don't have to worry about it becoming a bigger issue and a bigger headache to solve later. And that's kind of one of the things I learned. And then, um, yeah, just, just keep good books and records. And that doesn't just go for your financials. That's just with all records. You know, if you've got copies of contracts, you've got copies of stuff, just put it in Google drive, get it, you know, and if you're not strong at administrative functions, get an assistant, get someone who can specialize in that kind of stuff for you. Um, other thing I would say too, is like, you know, really understand this is probably more for the folks that are, are looking at buying a business versus starting one, but really understand your customer base. I mean, just understand why they're using you, you know, why, why does your customer base come to you for, for anything? You know, I guess, you know, obviously this is catered to physicians and, and stuff, but, you know, really just understand your patients, you know, why, you know, why are they coming to you? Why, why should they recommend you to someone else and never underestimate the power of a referral. Um, so, I mean, those are, those are kind of three of the big lessons that I learned when I, when I was running those businesses and, you know, obviously a lot more, but if I had to condense them down to three, I'd say those are the three top ones. So I love it. No, those, those are all, all good lessons. I relate to that. And certainly physicians can relate to bookkeeping and records, uh, that, uh, we, we all have to, to keep. Um, so, you know, with, with taking such, such big risk, you know, early on at, at 19 years old, um, how did it all turn out? Did, did, um, did you end up making some, making some good dough from it or? Yeah, I, I made some good money on those businesses. I mean, you know, I, I had a plan to go buy several of them and then sell them down the road. I mean, as I'm sure a lot of physicians listening to the podcast can attest to, you know, the, the space of, of, of medicine is a, is a very, you know, in, in some areas it's a very shady business. And, you know, I, I just took certain ethical issues with how a lot of, companies in the space operated. And I kind of realized that getting to where I wanted to go, it was probably not going to be done through, you know, the, the industry that I was in. I mean, <clears throat> I wanted to be able to build up to uh, build up a business to a certain level and, and sell it. And I kind of realized that the, the sector I was in just wasn't going to get there. So, you know, I, I did end up selling them. I, you know, made some money on it, but um, <clears throat> you know, I, I found that there's a lot more opportunity in, in, you know, buying a business that's kind of already running and then scaling it, which is kind of, what I'm focused on with the tax credit business that we can get into later. I didn't start the business. I mean, I started my consulting business of what I'm doing now for the, for the SBA financing. But I mean, a lot of what I'm doing, it's all built on, you know, backend stuff. You know, I've got some technology businesses that, you know, we've uh, negotiated some options in are integrating with our overall ecosystem, but um, you know, buying something and then, you know, building it where you have relative expertise and can actually add values is really important because I didn't know anything about the industry that I, got into. And so, you know, I, I was able to add a relatively limited about value. And so from, from a growth perspective, I, I wasn't able to grow it as much as I wanted just because I, you know, I didn't have the expertise and there's no problem with that, but you just got to make yeah. sure the people you have around you can, you know, cover the shortfalls when it comes to uh, either experience or just expertise in general. So. And so what, um, where, where were these businesses? Um, I had them between Illinois and Nevada. 
oh wow so it was uh it wasn't all in the same state even you know kind of spread yep. spread out so dealing with different regulations and different yep different uh guidelines between yeah I'll, yeah I'll, I'll give you one example so like in illinois um our, our annual fee to renew our license with the state was like i want to say like 200 something very nominal and in Nevada, they charge like 5,000. Two of the businesses we had were in Nevada. So like every year you had to spend $10,000 just to renew your license to do business in Nevada, which I found absolutely insane. No other state in the country, you know, was, was even close to that when it, you know, when it came to how much they, you know, were charging for the, you know, for the annual fees. So uh, yeah, slightly different regulations. I mean, obviously still mainly regulated by Medicare. So you've got somewhat of a consolidated federal entity to report to, but yeah, just different state regs, different headaches at, at, at different state levels. Just a lot of fun, a lot of fun, to say the least. So interesting, man, I can't even, can't even imagine, but you, you made it, you, you, you hustled, you worked hard and, and um, got into some new stuff. Um, got, got out what didn't, didn't uh, have to declare bankruptcy. It sounds like, or, and ended up with getting some cash out of the deal. So it ended up all right. A few more gray hairs, probably. Um, yeah, a few more gray hairs than I probably need at my age, but you know, we uh, we survived. So <laughs> that's it. So tell me, you know, why start this seven A accelerator that you have now? What what led you to that? So what actually mainly led me to it is I saw that uh, you know because of the way that I got into my business, I I just generally assumed that most business owners had you know, a higher level of financial expertise when it came to getting capital from a bank to grow their business, right? I mean, that's, that's how I got into it was more of an entrepreneurship through acquisition route. And, you know, seeing COVID and, you know, all the headaches they had with PPP, EIDL, a lot of the other, you know, COVID relief related programs that the SBA rolled out, I realized that most business owners, like they, they really don't have that much experience or expertise around how to raise capital, how to get, you know, outside financing from banks. And nobody was really there teaching them. I mean, you know, the SBA lends out, you know, 25 to $30 billion a year through their SBA program. But, you know, every banker that I talk to, I mean, it's my opinion that, you know, the lending volume is actually really low. If, if every business owner out there knew how to take advantage of these programs, they would be able to you know, the, the lending volume would be at least five to 10 times what it is now. I mean, we'd be looking at, you know, somewhere between 100 and $300 billion a year of money lent out. But a lot of people just, they don't know. There's a lot of bad information that's put out there by banks that don't know either. And so you kind of have this continuous circle of nobody knows and just everyone's giving everyone bad information. And so I was like, look, I know a lot about the space. I'd, I'd kind of done some work part-time uh, on a consulting basis for people who, you know, needed help raising capital to either purchase a business, scale a business, buy a building, buy out a partner, you know, all the typical eligible things that you can do with an SBA loan. And I was like, you know what, I could probably make a full-time business out of this. I mean, there's, there's enough money in it and there's enough demand for it. And there's a need for it. And, you know, especially coming out of this post COVID world, I mean, lending volume, I think is going to be much of a coiled spring. A lot of the lenders that I work with, they share that view as well. You know, they have, they have this view that, you know, lending is going to, you know, have a tremendous rebound, if you would. Um, and there's going to be a lot of lending volume that gets, gets pushed out over the next couple of years as, as kind of, you know, the country recovers from COVID. And so I'm like, Hey, let's go, let's go skate where the puck is going as, as Wayne Gretzky sure. would say, um, and, and be in a position to help a lot of people, you know, get the capital they need to, 
you know, scale their business. And so that's, that's kind of what got me interested in, um, you know, starting this business is I just saw the opportunity and how much of a need there was going to be for folks to, you know, find a capital provider to help them, you know, do whatever they need for their business. And that's, that's kind of what made me realize like, Hey, we should, you know, we should get, we should get in the space and, and be there to help those people when they're ready. Well, I think that's great. And uh, we, we've been talking about SBA loans. So I think it'd be great. To, I'm going to try and break it down and please correct me. You know, if I, if I say anything incorrectly, cause I, I certainly am, am not an expert in this area, but I know enough to be a little dangerous in it. So yeah. SBA small business administration loans, government loans, that, that essentially banks take on super minimal risk. I think it's 15 Correct. or 20% is their, their exposure to these kinds of loans normally. So the, if there's a loss, you know, the, the, the loan doesn't work out, the government essentially covers, you know, 80% of the loss or so, I guess it depends on the loan, I'm sure, yep. but it's um, very, very, very low risk for the, uh, the, the banks that are involved with this. Does that kind of capture the essence of it? Yeah, right now, actually, the guarantee percentage is actually 90% because of the COVID incentives that they put in place. They really wanted to incentivize lenders. So on a 7A loan, which is the main loan product that's out there for just, you know, general use, you can kind of use it for a little bit of anything. Um, those loans right now, they actually have a 90% guarantee, which is really great for, for banks because normally it's 75%. So you're right in the middle there. It's kind of in flux and, and it's going to go back to 75% in October is is kind of what what everything has been pointing to but but yeah that's that's typically how it works lenders like it because it mitigates their risk um and a lot of times borrowers like it because they're going to get much more favorable terms from it whether it comes from how long the loan is going to be you know length of term interest rate uh the other big benefit that a lot of business owners like when it comes to sba loans is the low down payment i mean a low low percentage of the down payment so if you are interested in say buying a building um, the amount of down payment that you would need to come up with for uh, a, a regular conventional bank loan is going to be much higher than it would be if you were there, uh, you know, getting financing through an SBA loan. You might have to put 25% down if you wanted to go finance a, a building purchase for your practice location conventionally. With SBA, you only have to put in 10%. I'm, I'm, I think I mentioned this prior to us jumping on the, on the podcast here, but I've got a surgeon friend of mine. He's got um, two offices in California and he's renting right now and he's losing a lot of money just by how much they're having to spend on rent. Yep. So we're lining up two purchases of, of buildings and it, we've kind of done the math. It's funny, even after all the loan is said and done, um, you know, compared to what their rent costs was, they're going to be saving about $25,000 a month and they're going to be spending close to $7 million buying these buildings and, you know, getting some capital to renovate them and build them all out. Can you believe that? But they still have to come up with 10%. So if Think about it. If you want conventional, you would be having to put in, you know, let's say it's 20 to 30%. I mean, you could, they could be asking for you to put in $2 million with SBA. In his case, he only has to put in $700,000. Um, and, you know, the difference there for him is going to be immediately seen, right? With, with how much money they're going to be saving on renting compared to what their payment is in the mortgage. But, um, but yeah, I mean, those are a couple of the incentives that are there and why it's good for banks and why it's good for borrowers. You know, there's a government guarantee there and uh, yeah, that can help mitigate that, you know, that mitigates the risk for the banks. The bank likes that. Uh, well, but also for the, you know, for the, for the borrower, I mean, there's a lot of incentives as to why they 
benefit from it as well, you know, with, with all the other factors that I mentioned. So, well, per personal story, it's kind of, kind of interesting. I had um, recently, you and I were talking beforehand, how I have kind of a holding company and the, the holding company has my uh, main business. It has the land flipping businesses. There's the, the software company that all the, the, the profits and everything kind of flows through to the holding company that these different LLCs um, have. And so um, we, I, I was interested actually in buying a commercial building and yep. was looking around and, and I bank at Wells Fargo and which of course is obnoxious. <laughs> the, the abs yeah. They're, they're absolutely the worst. I mean, that's, and that's the other big thing that I tell people, not all banks are created equal. And that's the biggest lesson that anyone can, can come away with when it comes for looking for an SBA lender you know, generally speaking, the bigger the bank, the worse they're going to be at an SBA loan. The best SBA lenders, it's not, it's usually not your local bank and it's you, and it's almost always not a large national bank because frankly, they don't care. You know, it's, it's a small business. What is, what does Chase care about it? I mean, they write individual loan facilities that are, you know, a, a you know, a couple hundred million dollars. I mean, the top SBA lenders in the country only do a couple hundred million dollars a year in loans, right? So, this comes down to a lot of factors like that, but yeah, I mean, working with the right banks is, is definitely the main thing that you have to make sure you're on top of when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to actually getting, you know, getting your funding approved is, is work with the right bank. But, but yeah, what, back to what you were saying, Wells Fargo. So it was, it was, it was interesting just, just as a learning experience that uh, for me, because of, of the complicated business that I have and part of it being in real estate where we're flipping land that, um, my holding company, I was able to split out. Okay, this is funny. This is my finance side. This is my land side. This is this other side. And um, they, they basically didn't want to touch it because, you know, it was a more complicated situation, but we could end up doing through this different entity with my partners and on the finance side. So yep. it was, it was, it was interesting that, um, even though individually, you know, I had more income showing by far in my holding company versus the other entity that they were better with the one entity, you know, that uh, I guess you were mentioning that some of the, the land flipping stuff that I do would be considered speculative, which um, many physicians probably wouldn't have to be concerned with that, but maybe you want to speak to that for, for a minute. Yeah. I mean, so part of the issue you probably had there was you got eligibility concerns. I, I my, my guess, and I, I can't really guess that intelligently about Wells Fargo because sometimes I don't even think they know what they're doing. Um, the, the, the big thing for, for you with, with that, you know, there, there are eligibility concerns because the SBA doesn't like, you know, doing quote, speculative investments, right? So you can't use an SBA loan to like go buy a quadplex or an apartment building and just lease it out. I mean, they don't determine that to be a, uh, you know, a bona fide business, right? So, you know, there are a lot of nuances with that. You got to make sure that you have your business structured correctly. I mean, there is a way that you could have done that, but it would have involved basically splitting it up in different companies and, you know, making sure that the activities of the business are entirely eligible, um, stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, the, the SBA's SOP is like 400, um, it's, it's like 400 pages long, right? And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of nuances with it. And, you know, that's, and, and that's why unfortunately a lot of banks just, you know, they, they say stuff that just isn't right. Cause it's just confusing. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, to your question, there's, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat when it comes to getting a loan and, you know, making sure that you've got all your nuances figured out what that is. It, it is very important. Absolutely. Well, I think it's, uh, 
it, it's quite quite the thing. And, and I'd like to to have you talk a little bit about. Um, you mentioned that that you actually one of the things we love to talk about are taxes. And so let's talk about yep. about tax credits. Let's. Before we do that, let's talk about. I think one one of the great strategies I mentioned in the introduction that if you really want to slash your taxes is moving overseas while still kind of running. Um, a domestic business in, in a sense, which is what you're doing, living in, in Puerto Rico. So tell us a bit about how did you decide that and what's what's the benefit of doing that? Yeah. So one of my one of my friends and a, a business and associate of mine, he, he moved to Puerto Rico and I had heard about the tax incentives before and uh, I, I hadn't really dug into it. But the um, you know, the, the I will qualify, you know, it's it's not as it doesn't work for everyone. The Puerto Rico strategy, you have to have a business that, you know, you can consider export services. So if you run like a telemedicine business or you have a, um, you know, you've got a business that can be operated virtually, Puerto Rico is a great strategy. If you've got, you know, a bunch of franchise pizza restaurant locations, it's probably not going to work because those businesses are still on the mainland. It's going to get taxed at, you know, the IRS level. You know, a lot of people, aren't aware of it, but, you know, Puerto Rico, because it's a U.S. territory and it's a commonwealth, they actually have their own tax system here. So when I pay taxes, I, I mean, I just moved here, so I, I haven't done it yet, but next year when I pay taxes, you know, I, I file something that's called an Act 60 decree. And that basically says that, you know, I'm going to be a resident of Puerto Rico. I have to live here 183 days of the year and I get to pay my taxes here. Well, what that means is I don't have to deal with capital gains. I don't have to deal with um, taxes on distributions from the business. And the only taxes I'm really paying are whatever I choose to pay myself as a salary, which, you know, it'll be like $100,000 or whatever. Um, and, you know, the rest of the money uh, that, that I have coming in, I'll pay to myself as a distribution tax-free. And the only real tax that I'm ever going to be stuck paying, David, is, is, is you know, the 2 the to 4% corporate income tax. So I've set up this consulting business here. I'm in the process of, of you know, working on the the you know, with my partners on the tax credit side, we're, we're reincorporating that business here because we can do it from wherever. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, if we, if we make, you know, $5 million in the business uh, next year or this year or whatever, we would only have to pay 4% corporate income, you know, 4% of that in corporate income taxes, which would be what, like $200,000 in taxes. Um, and then the dividends would be entirely tax-free, which is, which is pretty crazy. So Huge. it's a great tax strategy. I, I think for, for most most of the audience, I, I don't think it would really be the most practical strategy, but you know, there's a lot of other practical strategies that you can utilize, you know, with, uh, you know, life insurance strategies. I, I, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've, if you've covered 831B captive entities, uh, there's a lot of press as of late on self-directed Roth IRAs because of what Peter Thiel did with, with his business. He basically sold a lot of shares of PayPal over to himself, um, through, you know, through, through a transaction, um, you know, prior to PayPal going public. And so his, his, all the gains that he appreciated over time, both in PayPal and all the money that he's reinvested over time has appreciated tax-free inside of his Roth, which I think those are probably more practical strategies for a business owner, right? You, you know, you, you, you set up a business in there that, you know, will do cash flow that'll, that'll generate cash flow over time. It gets tricky, but you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to do it, but there's, you know, there's obviously as, as you know, infinite ways to reduce taxes, but those are a couple of strategies that, <clears throat> you know, I, I think would be valuable to share to the audience, especially well, 831Bs. Well, and, and I think the, um, 
getting back to, to what you're doing, which is, which is fantastic. If I'm to talk about medicine, you know, I'd be thinking about telemedicine or maybe someone does locums and they're, they could live, do some of the work maybe in the U S but then live in Puerto Rico, maybe might work. Um, or some, something like that, I think would, would be intriguing to, um, to, to explore. Um, yeah, for, for sure. Like, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not an accountant. I'm by, by no means the, the expert in the specifics of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's always some sort of program and and resource that's available to be taken advantage of, you know, when, when you've got the right advisors and, you know, kind of like what I was saying earlier, you know, top lessons about the business, just make sure you've got people that are properly qualified and are correctly aligned with your interests and in, in a team of advisors, you know, your accountant, your attorney, um, just make sure you've got good ones that are familiar with your situation and are well-versed in whatever you're wanting to explore. I mean, you wouldn't hire a, a traffic lawyer, you know, a traffic ticket lawyer to help represent you on, on tax matters of, of living between the U.S. and Puerto Rico, obviously. So, you know, same thing with whatever other advisors you bring in, just make sure they know, they know the space. I'm sure they can help you. Absolutely. So, and now let's take a moment for a quick commercial break. Well, my friends, the holiday season is upon us. And I have to be honest, I have a lot of inventory of books and all kinds of things that I am wanting to get rid of and out of my office. If you might be interested in getting a discounted um, amount on all of the books that I have available, would love to hear from you. Give me a call at 612-284-2409. Again, if you're interested in getting some discounted books for this holiday season from me that I've written, all the materials, um, recorded version of the book, all that kind of stuff, give me a call 612-284-2409 and I will give you some fat discounts so I can have more space available to me. Again, that's 612-284-2409. Thanks. Bye-bye. And now back to the show. Um, tell me about tax credits. You know, this, this was something that I know that you're passionate about and, and great ways for those of us in, in private practice already, you know, tell me about the kind of tax credits that folks might be missing out on. Yeah. So, so the, the other business I'm involved in, which I, I mentioned, I think we talked a little bit before we got on the podcast here, it's, it's a project blue. It's a, we're a tax credit consulting and, and strategy company. We specialize in working with, um, you know, businesses of all sizes. And really our, our mantra is we're here to bring Fortune 500 tax strategies to Main Street businesses. You know, Amazon, as, as a lot of people probably read in, ta- in, in, in tabloids and articles, you know, they pay almost no taxes. And the reason for that is they're not doing anything illegal. It's just they've got an army of accountants that specialize in filing for tax credits based on uh, some research that we did just based on available filings and stuff. The smallest tax credit that Amazon filed for in um, 2019, how, how much do you think it was? The smallest tax credit they, that, that oh, they clash trillion dollar company. Um, the smallest one, I don't know, a million dollars, $400 million, $400 smallest million. tax credit they claim. So a lot of people ask, you know, how, how do they do it? That's, that's, that's how. So a lot of the tax strategies are actually still available to smaller businesses. And we work with like a lot of dental practices, a lot of doctor's offices, uh, the, the surgeon I mentioned to you earlier, we're, we're working on, you know, a friend of mine, we're working on the building finances for him. He's, he's got about a, I think it's about a $10 million a year practice. And um, 
you know, we're, we're still digging through it, you know, but we've found at least $400,000 of tax credits that are already there. And there are certain tax credits available to him once the building purchases are done that should add another at least $100,000 to $150,000 for a total organizational benefit of like five fifty dollars to $600,000. Uh, so our company, we, we searched through a list of like 1,100 different federal, state, local tax credits, rebates, and incentives. We have CPAs that have literally PhDs in tax. Um, they're very well versed in these exact specific programs. Really, the only two questions that we ever get from people are, you know, are these programs legitimate? which, you know, obviously they are. We've got very qualified tax experts with tremendous resumes to support it in case there's any questions from CP on that. And, you know, the other question that usually comes up is, well, these programs are so great. Why isn't my CPA claiming them? And, you know, my response to people is, well, do you know how long the U.S. federal tax code is? It's like 2,700 pages long. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, there's there's really no way that, you know, your, your, your average CPA is going to be able to do it to, to actually equate it back to the medical space, you know, we, we, um, we like the analogy for, for anybody, but I'm sure your audience especially appreciate it. Most CPAs are like a general practitioner, you know, your, your family medicine doctor, they've got training and qualifications and expertise and all the generalities of, of what goes on in the human body. But anytime it's something specific, what do they do? They refer it out. They refer to an expert, right? You know, whether it's, Hey, I need help, uh, you know, with, I've got a spot on my skin that could be cancer. Okay. Well, we're going to refer you to a, a dermatologist and they're, they're going to look at that. Right. Same thing with tax stuff, you know? So that's the only question we get is, you know, these tax credits, if they're so great, why is my CPA checking from frankly, just they're not trained for it. So that's, you know, we, we work with a lot of accountants actually as a force multiplier, you know, we, we do all the work, make sure their clients are able to claim all these credits and, um, you know, they can manage the overall relationship. But yeah, there's there's 1,100 different programs that we check for. I, I guarantee you that your CPA is not looking for it. Even if you have a really, really big accounting firm as, as, as your accounting representation, unless you're paying them to go look into a lot of these programs, it's just, it's frankly not going to happen. So well, wait, wait. A, lot of, a lot of nuances, a lot of nuances to go into it, but you know, those are just some of the high level, um, high level things I'd, I'd mention. Well, what, what I would point out to folks that they may not be aware of is, most CPAs are, are number crunchers, they're bean counters. And it's great to have a bean counter, you know, making sure that the, the boxes are checked and things are getting filled in right. Um, but, but the vast, vast majority, and we've had some people on here that do great proactive tax planning, but most are tax preparers, not yeah. tax advisors. Um, they try and, and market themselves a little bit like that, but reality is, you know, they're just preparing your returns and, more often than not, not really helping you look for deductions um, that, that are out of the box, which is kind of what we're talking about here with, with these credits. So give me an example, Josh, of, of some of the credits that your, your friend, if you can name any of them, you know, what kind of stuff was he able to take credits for that um, CPAs wouldn't, wouldn't have known of? Yeah. So one of the main ones that we found for, for him, it, it was actually with research and development. Now, a lot of people say, okay, well, I'm not a manufacturing business. I'm not a ph pharmaceutical business. I'm not a, I'm not a software company. How am I going to qualify for research and development focused tax credits? Well, the, the answer would actually, you know, surprise a lot of people, but most organizations are, are doing activities that will qualify under, the parameters set by Ronald Reagan when he passed the, uh, you know, the, 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 the bill that put the research and development tax credit program into place. So there was a bunch of money on the table there for them with that. Um, and, and to be clear with Project Blue, we don't 
purely do tax credits. If we also are, are looking at a lot of expense reduction opportunities, we've got a bunch of different things that we can check for, everything from your utility bills to your credit card processing fees. There's a lot of things that we can do in there when it comes to helping you know, reduce overall expenses. So um, R&D credits were big for them. There's a lot of employment-related tax credits that most people are entirely um, you know, un unaware of. So there was a lot of money for them when it came to those programs as well. We were able to find a lot of money for them that they're going to be able to claim retroactively as well as on an ongoing basis for, for new hires. An example I can give is one called a work opportunity tax credit. Almost every state has, you know, slight variances on the exact qualification, you know, the exact qualifications for it. But, um, you know, basically the, the main premise of it is if you have, if you're hiring employees that meet certain eligibility statuses, maybe they're a veteran, maybe they, um, you know, maybe they were on, an, on unemployment within the last 12 months. If you hire people that fall into these eligible categories, you're eligible for a tax credit. You know, they'll actually cut you a check for doing that. You know, they, they want you to hire a lot of these people that fall into these categories. But unless you're, you know, unless you're checking for it, you know, you're not going to claim it, right? And, and typically an accountant is not going to be there proactively to help you with it. So those are just a, a few uh, to, to name. Um, there are also some strategies that I mentioned. There's more money once this real estate is purchased through programs called cost segregation. A lot of accountants do, um, you know, do help people with this out of all the tax strategies that we do that other accounting firms that, you know, we've come in contact with, um, help with, that's, that's what I would say is probably the biggest one is just that they're already there helping them with cost segregation. Cost segregation just has to do with how quickly you can depreciate the building that, that you're in. If you, and, you know, you have to obviously own the real estate for, for it to be an eligible, um, you know, an eligible thing, but, um, those are, those are just a handful of the tax strategies that we were able to utilize for them and, and, you know, identify North of half a million dollars of savings for, for the organization. So. Nice. I love it. Well, those, those are all great and, and stuff that a lot of us aren't aware of. Um, now I know that a lot of the people listening right now may not own their own practice, probably 60 to 70% of the audience are working for, for a hospital, but Yep. Maybe, maybe some of those folks are, are looking for a way out. Maybe they're tired of running on the hamster wheel and uh, want, want a little more freedom to, to buy a practice. Um, we were talking about the SBA loans earlier, and I think you had told me that there's some special programs even around acquisition that might help someone that wants to break free. Yeah. So one of the most, uh, you know, common things that we do in the financing realm, this is uh, like I mentioned, we do a lot of work with dentists. Um, you know, we've, we've definitely been trying to get more networked with, with uh, physicians and in more traditional verticals outside of dentistry. But one of the, one of the main things that we've been doing a lot with dentists is helping them with, uh, you know, buying practices, right? You've got a retiring dentist who, uh, you know, is retiring and he wants to be able to, hand the practice off to someone else and he just needs a resource to do so. SBA financing is probably one of the easiest ways to do that. Uh, SBA financing lets you, you basically sell a practice to an associate or maybe it's an outside buyer. Um, you know, if you own the practice now, or if you are, you know, maybe you're working part-time for a hospital now and you want to go buy an existing practice. SBA is one of the easiest ways to, you know, to structure it. So, um, you know, typically the reason that SBA financing is is used over conventional is lower down payment, you know, favor, more favorable terms. So a longer loan term, lower interest rate than just getting it conventionally financed. Um, but, you know, their practice acquisitions 
or buying real estate and then opening your own practices. Both of those are, are, are great eligible uses for physicians who want to, you know, leave wherever they're working now and start their own practice. And if you've, if you've kind of had it with working at the hospital and you want to go work by, you know, work for yourself and, you know, maybe as part of your practice, you are still doing rounds at the hospital one or two days a week. I, I know plenty of doctors. That's, that's kind of how they've set their, their practices up, but using an SBLN to, to buy an existing practice or start a new one is a great use of it, especially if you're, you know, you're kind of itching to get out. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and one thing to make folks aware of that I found that I didn't mention earlier when I went through my own little SBA journey, I said, Oh, what if I bought, bought a bigger building and um, try to rent out some of it? And one of the, the rules that I ran into was to qualify for an SBA loan. I mean, you could do it without an SBA loan. You just have to have a higher down payment is you, you have to be owner occupied 51% or greater in order to qualify right. for, for SBA. Are there any exceptions to that? That you can think well, of. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. So, you know, the key thing, it, it, there, there's a lot of nuances of, of, of SBA financing. That's why, you know, it's, it's convenient to have someone like myself. I say this very self-servingly, but it's convenient to have someone like myself in there because sometimes the bank can't tell you things that I can't. And, you know, it, it's funny because a lot of banks that I work with, you know, they say, hey, you know, can you go tell the borrower XYZ? So, what it comes down to is like, yes, you've got to occupy 51% or more, but that's just at closing. If you want to go lease out, you know, 75% of the space post-closing, the bank's not going to know. They're not going to ask. They're not going to care. Just pay your loan every month and they're good, right? Hmm. So <laughs> that's, that's what I would say is, is kind of one of those nuanced things about it. Yes, that is the requirement. Yes, they do ask for that. However, there's really not much of a way to enforce that. Um, specifically the whole thing about 51% occupancy. I'm not actively encouraging someone to flap the rules. I'm just saying, you know, once the money's out the door, as long as you make your payment, nobody cares. So that is one of the unique points they do have, but as long as it's planned and as you and I both know, plans can change. So you're not doing anything dishonest, you know, this is the plan and Hey, you know, a couple months later, the plan changed and, you know, we leased out more of, more of the building than we initially thought. We only needed X amount of space. So yeah, there, there's, there's lots of ways to get around, you know, certain nuances and rules that might otherwise present challenges for, for borrowers. And that's, that's one of the typical ones that, you know, I, I see can present issues for people just figuring out how to get around that. So. Well, I can imagine the longer you wait too, the more you could justify it. Right. You know, if it was a yeah, year you've later. Rev- yeah. You've de-risked the revenue and you know, Hey, you're really what it comes down to at the end of the day, nobody cares as long as you make the payment and don't default. That's, that's what I tell people. Just don't default in your loan. Nobody cares. <laughs> you know? So. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Which obviously the bigger building you buy, whether it's a surgery center or a place yeah. for your, your practice, you know, you're taking on more risk, right? So you always have to come back to that risk factor of how much risk are you, you willing to take. So tell me um, in, in Josh, you know, with, with all these great things people can look into, how does someone like yourself get paid? Yeah. So the tax credit business is pretty straightforward. I mean, I tell people we 80, 20, um, you know, we, we basically just take a percentage of the savings that are identified. It varies by program though, because there's a lot of programs out there. We take less. So I tell people 80, 20, because that's the most we'll ever take is 20%. Sometimes it's less, you know, like for example, with cost segregation, that's an, it's usually an easier uh, it's usually an easier benefit to qualify people for, you know, on that one, we're only taking like 12%, right? So it just depends on the program that's out there. Uh, for the consulting side, I think we charge, you know, just a flat consulting fee to work with someone to help kind of walk them through the process. We're doing a lot more than just, you know, quote, brokering a loan. Most traditional loan brokers are getting paid a point or two from the bank, usually, usually 1% from the lender just to refer the loan over. But we're doing a lot more than that. We're, 
We're helping liaise with the CPA, collect documents, review their completeness, review, you know, business plans that are put together. I mean, that's, you know, something you got to do is just you got to put a business plan together and they don't have to be perfect or anything, but it's, it's nice to have someone who already understands what the lender is going to be looking for, make sure you cover all the bases, all that kind of stuff. So we, that's why we charge a flat consulting fee. And we, we do also get kind of like a point on the back end and most, you know, from most of the banks we work with, but that's how we get paid. You know, most of our incentive is coming from getting a deal done. Um, you know, our, our company, we don't take clients unless we think we can help them. But the nice thing for everyone in the audience here is you have MD after your name or DO, uh, one or the other. And to a bank, that means as long as you have a pulse and decent credit, they will lend you lots of money to uh, to do whatever you need. <laughs> so opening a practice, buying a practice, buying a building to start a practice, uh, doesn't really matter too much. Uh, banks really like working with uh, medical doctors because at the end of the day, they know come hell or high water, come COVID or, come COVID or not, uh, people are still going to need to go to their you know, go to their physician, right? They're still going to need to be able to see the doctor and nothing when it comes to consumer behavior is, is going to change that, you know? So um, that's, that's why we like working with doctors. Uh, you know, we, we align ourselves with the success of our clients. Interesting. Well, that's great. So um, tell me more about like the, you mentioned the, the 20% of, of the, the credit. So is that like of the, the actual, um, so let's, let's just say you found $100,000 worth of credits, right? Yep. So that, that in someone in a 30% tax bracket, that might be 30 grand that they might be saving in taxes on, on that um, credit. Um, well, so with, 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 the tax, with, with the tax credit, so some of them work differently, right? So some of them are, are credits where the IRS will actually cut a check back to the company. Uh, or more often than not to the shareholder, because typically the way the IRS does it is they look at the beneficial shareholders because most people set up their practices as as S-Corps, kind of a technical detail. But yeah, I mean, in the case of us finding $100,000, the IRS would actually be cutting a check back to the owner for that much. Mm -hmm. And then we would just invoice for, you know, we we would just invoice for our portion of the fee after, you know, after that's done. Got it. So it it would be, uh, it's not... Uh, twenty percent of the hundred thousand dollar credit. It's twenty percent of the the refund, which would might be thirty grand in this case, assuming someone's in a thirty percent tax bracket. So, thirty thousand bucks times. I'm 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 not I'm not following. I'm, I'm not following how like if the IRS is cutting them a check back for a hundred grand, they're they're not getting tax on that because that's that's a tax credit back. That's a refund back to back to them as as a shareholder of the business because they're usually looking at how much taxes were already paid in taxes by the owner on, on that business. So when they get that check back, they don't have to pay taxes again on it as as additional income. That's that's money. It's I guess I was thinking more of a deduction than a than a credit. I think I was I was confusing the two. Got it. Got it. Yeah. No. A lot of these are a lot of these are going to be straight you know, uh, straight refunds. Some of them act more as deductions, especially with some of like the state, like unemployment credits. A lot of those are going to work more, you know, more along that line. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, t- typically most of the programs that we have, it's, it's actually just money going straight back. I mean, we, we have like, for example, we have one program where the way it works is it's more, uh, how can I put it? It's more of a, like a FICA tax reduction, you know, so there's certain incentives that the IRS has in place for employers to do, you know, employ health and wellness benefits uh, and stuff. So that, that stuff like that can actually reduce their taxable liability by quite a bit, um, you know, when it comes to FICA tax contributions. So those ones, it's just, you know, hey, on an ongoing basis, you're going to be able to reduce your your FICA tax contributions by enacting, you know, certain programs and plans, if, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. 
Well, I think this is all great information, Josh. Any uh, closing thoughts that you have for us? Um, not, not really. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I think you, you, you know, your audience, the fact that they're here listening is, is, is a good step because I think a lot of people, they, you know, they just, they get so tied up with, and I, I know we we're kind of talking about that earlier. Some of the, some of the folks that we work with, we can tell that they're just so tied up with running their business day to day. They're not really seeing the bigger picture financially and, you know, small things done now can, can reap massive rewards down the road. I, I made mention of how Peter Thiel, uh, <laughs> successfully leveraged a self-directed Roth IRA to, you know, take ownership of, you know, basically to buy business ownership in, in PayPal before they went public and it paid dividends and to the tunes of billions of dollars, you know, small stuff like that you do today as you're, you know, wherever you are in your career, you know, the sooner you implement certain things, the, the effects will compound over time. So yeah, just make sure you're talking to smart guys like Dave, who are experts in, in finance on the, on the more on the personal side, especially as more just on the business side, but, you know, really just make sure you got the right experts in your corner and uh, are, are doing everything you can to build that, you know, 10, 20, 30 year plan towards retirement. Right. So that's, that's eventually what everyone wants to do. They want to be able to accumulate enough to where they can just travel, sit my ties, golf and, and, and support themselves just, you know, off their, off their retirement. Right. So that, that's, that's really my only closing thought. Just make sure you have the right experts in your corner and are planning ahead. I love it. All great suggestions. And where can people find you, my friend, if they're interested in learning more about what you guys do? Yeah. So easiest way to reach out to me would be through my 7A accelerator email. It's uh, just josh at 7accelerator.com. I'm sure we can put a Sure, we can put a link in the bio for, for the website. I mean, if you're interested, we've got some content up there. We're, we're posting more regularly. And if you're interested in booking a call with us to see if, if it's something that we'd be able to help you out with, uh, very happy to do so. You know, we're, we, work with lots of, uh, we work with lots of medical professionals, like I mentioned earlier on the call, and would love to see if there's any way that we could help you or perhaps a friend of yours in your network uh, on you know, finding the best way to either leverage an SBA loan to scale their business, or possibly if you're more interested in learning about how we can go back up to three years and claim a bunch of unclaimed tax credits for you. Either way, feel free to reach out, book a call. I'm sure we can put a link in the <clears throat> in the description here to, uh, you know, to let anyone know who, who wants to dig in. But but yeah, that's that's what I would say would be would be easiest. I'm sure we can put that info in the, uh, in the description below. Yeah, absolutely. And now let's take a moment for a quick commercial break. Well, my friends, the holiday season is upon us. And I have to be honest, I have a lot of inventory of books and all kinds of things that I am wanting to get rid of and out of my office. If you might be interested in getting a discounted um, amount on all of the books that I have available, would love to hear from you. Give me a call at 612-284-2409. Again, if you're interested in getting some discounted books for this holiday season from me that I've written, all the materials, um, recorded version of the book, all that kind of stuff, give me a call 612-284-2409 and I will give you some fat discounts so I can have more space available to me. Again, that's 612-284-2409. 2409. Thanks. Bye-bye. 
Well, there you go, folks. Definitely reach out. You have questions about all this. It is complicated. There are some of these rules that we just barely scratched the surface on. So a lot to learn, a lot to talk about that is hard to do in 30, 40 minutes. So uh, we appreciate you checking us out. We thank you for joining us on the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.